1: Welcome back. Monday, June 20th, 2022. I am Seth Liebson. 602 is the number if you'd like to call in, weigh in, add. I um, hope you had a great weekend. And uh, I guess I'd open with this. It's the conclusion to a story from the mid-19th century. I want to say 1830-something. So the emperor went along in the procession under the splendid canopy, and everyone in the street said how beautiful the emperor's new clothes are, what a splendid train, and how well they fit. No one wanted to let it appear. What they were seeing was nothing. He has nothing on, did shout a little child. Just listen to the innocent, said the father. And one person whispered to another what the child had said. He has nothing on. The child says he has nothing on. And he has nothing on, started to cry the people. He has nothing on. The emperor was startled by all this, for he had a sneaking suspicion they were right. But he thought, I must face this out to the end and go on with the procession. So he held himself up more stiffly than ever, and the chamberlains held up the train, That was not there at all. Yes, that's Hans Christian Andersen and the emperor's new clothes. For some time now, even before the campaign concluded in November of 2020, we have been saying this about Joe Biden, except not his clothes, but rather his ability to think and his ability to know what is going on and thus control his administration. So I don't have a lot to say about the standing bike fall. I saw that it was brushed aside by someone who said his shoe got caught in a clip, a toe clip. I saw the shoe. It doesn't look like the kind of shoe that goes into a toe clip. But I didn't need to see the accident to know that there's a real problem going on and has been for a while, and anyone who doesn't think so is living inside of a joke, inside of a really bad and cruel joke. I believe everyone now knows this, and you are starting to see those stories that everyone now knows this. The latest, of course, isn't the bike ride or the bike fall. The latest, of course, is his meeting in Saudi Arabia, where his Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm, said he'll have a meeting one-on-one with Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, the Crown Prince, A lot of people think MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, has a um, really big human rights problem. I happen to be one of them. I don't think I I, I just I I don't. (laughs) Look, I understand the need to join with Stalin to defeat Hitler. And sometimes we have to do that. But let's not forget that Stalin is also Stalin. And once we defeat Hitler, we're going to have to spend a lot of time working with Stalin or against him. And I'll come to that in a moment. But Jennifer Granholm says on the Sunday shows, Joe Biden will be meeting one on one with him. Joe Biden says, nope, not true. He won't be meeting one on one with him. He'll just be in a room of others where Mohammed bin Salman is. When the administration gets its story right on things, they make grandiose statements about one thing straight. Just one between a secretary and the president will let you know it hasn't happened in a while. Not on war. Not on energy, not on supply chain, not on the border, not really on anything else of significance. And now you're beginning to see some stories, some stories really boiling out. Jim Garrity says, did you notice that discussing Joe Biden's age, memory and mental state once upon a time denounced as the gross low common denominator politics that drives people away from public life by CNN's Chris Saliza? Well, now they're doing it over at CNN and elsewhere. How about The Atlantic? Last week, Mark Leibovich in The Atlantic wrote that Biden shouldn't run for another term because in his view, well, let me just quote you Mark Leibovich from The Atlantic. They say for the most part that Biden is coping fine, you know. Despite the eight point six percent inflation, his depressed approval numbers, his vice president's worse approval numbers, the looming wipeout in the midterms and all the other delights attending to Biden as he awaits the big round numbered birthday he has coming up in a few months. But here's another recurring theme I keep hearing, notably from people predisposed to liking the president, quote, he just seems old, close quote. He seems old, you say. Over at the Atlantic last week, the New York Times quoted many Democratic officials as worrying that Biden was too old to run for re-election. Brian Stelter, you know him, and John Harwood talked about the issue and the Atlantic article on CNN. The editorial board of the Wall Street Journal chuckles. "Quote: Democrats in the media suddenly discovered the president is old." It seems overnight discussing Joe Biden's age, memory and mental state isn't a gross low common denominator politics anymore. But when the Afghan government was collapsing, Biden disappeared from public view for four days and then took no questions from the press. For another three days when he did do a sit down interview with George Stephanopoulos over it, Biden insisted he had never been told by General Frank McKenzie of U.S. Central Command and General Mark Milley of the Joint Chiefs that they recommended keeping twenty five hundred troops in Afghanistan or had any other concerns about a full withdrawal. Quote, no one said that to me that I can recall. He said, close quote, the two generals later testified under oath that that's in fact exactly what they had said to him at the time. It was worth noteworthy that Biden had not released any updates on his health since December twenty nineteen and surmised people did that something might have been wrong with the president. The most generous interpretation is that Biden was a shameless liar, eager to blame his staff for the consequences of his own bad decisions. But the other more troubling possibility was that Biden simply didn't remember what he was briefed on a few months before. Finally, Biden did release a letter from his doctor declaring, quote, he remains fit for duty, close quote. We can see that the president rarely does more than one public event each day, rarely attends events at night. We can see that the president goes home to Delaware almost every weekend, leaving the White House for Rehoboth Beach about 11 a.m. every Friday morning we can see that about 4 months has passed between biden's sit down interviews with nbc lester holt and then followed up only by his appearance on jimmy kimmel where the president offered his usually his his uh, his usual half sentences and fragmented thoughts In one ramble with Kimmel, he said, quote, you turn on the TV, look at the ads. When's the last time you saw biracial couples on TV? When's the last time you saw the way I mean people are selling products? They do ads and sell products and they say products when people they appeal to people, close quote, doing his best imitation of his vice president. Joe Biden is 79 years and seven months old. The presidency is one of the toughest jobs in the world. Is it partially an issue of mental and verbal discipline? Which were never Biden's strengths to begin with? Maybe. But now he's overwhelmed by the problems of the job and coping through denial. Last week, he did finally do another sit down in which he contended to the Associated Press that, quote, every other major industrial country in the world has higher inflation, which is not even close to being true. Biden insisted that there is zero evidence that the $1.9 trillion American rescue plan, which passed in March of last year, contributed to inflation and that it did not have an impact on inflation. Not true. He said Americans should not believe warnings about a possible recession. This weekend, he said he spoke with Larry Summers, who said it's not inevitable. Every other newspaper quotes Larry Summers as saying that's exactly where we're headed. Biden, who pledged to shut down the virus and make Saudi Arabia pariah state, declared, quote, I made a commitment. and I think I can say that I've never broken any commitment I've ever made, close quote. Well, the only commitment he seems hell bent on keeping at this point is getting us entirely removed and off of fossil fuels. That's his only commitment. It seems that Biden walks around in a foggy realm in which he is always just trying to do the right thing. Solutions are obvious and simple. His policies, he thinks, are working and just need more time. And every problem besetting the country is the fault of either the Republicans, Vladimir Putin, or greedy corporations. Robert Costa and Bob Woodward have a bombshell inside the Biden White House. They'll probably write something like this, Jim Garrity says. The president's official health report said he was in fine shape for his age. But behind the scenes, Jill Biden, Ron Klain and Susan Rice were deeply concerned the president's health was rapidly declining and that he would soon be unable to perform his duties. His speech was becoming less and less coherent. His thinking more erratic. His mood shifts more intense and angrily lashing out at routine, routine advice. And recommendations, but they all concurred. They thought they could hide this from the public. Biden has no public events on his schedule today. I'm Seth Leipsin, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. My monologue at the top of the third hour today. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Portions of which are brought to you by the good folks at Cool Touch, air conditioning, heating, and plumbing. 17 years in business, A plus rating with the BBB. I know these folks well. Chris Funk started Cool Touch with one belief that an honest, reliable company could not only succeed, but thrive. And that's right. They have. They only focus on two things putting you, the customer, first and always doing what they say. They will do. Never received a complaint with the ROC. I've only heard great things from my friends who use them, and I can tell you I've used them several times for several properties with several needs from plumbing to heating to air conditioning, and I love them. Give Cool Touch a call if you are having air conditioning or, pl- or plumbing problems. Heat can wait, <laughs> obviously. Give them a call at 623 734 1932 or visit them online at cooltouchac.com cooltouchac.com uh yeah okay the news about now putting vaccines into young children and those under 5 never mind those over 5 it's interesting that the new york times is still finding this an interesting story i'll tell you i find an interesting story if kids are the concern I find the interesting story that more than twice as many kids are dying from fatal drug overdoses or drug doses than COVID. Over twice as many. If we would put as much attention on that as we did with children and COVID, we'd wipe the problem out. We'd wipe it out. But instead, we're letting drugs wipe our our children out. Misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities priorities. There's a lot of reasons for this, by the way, a lot. Half of them are political. The other half are about will and attention. I have a feeling attention will come, ultimately. I have a feeling it'll come after too many deaths. Speaking of too many deaths and keeping the focus, you do remember that we were all consumed about what took place in Uvalde, Texas as a mass shooting, right? That was on everyone's radar screen. We were all Worried about that and concerned about that, weren't we? Well, there was a mass shooting in D.C. over the weekend. Did you hear about it? Chicago had 48 people shot over the weekend. That's more than 12 mass shootings. Oakland had four. That's a mass shooting. Los Angeles had two mass shootings over the weekend. Not talked about. Not talked about. All of these young men, all of these young boys. This is the weekend we were supposed to be commemorating Father's Day and June 19th. Today we're commemorating Juneteenth as a national holiday. That'll be the essence of my monologue when we get to it at the top of the third hour. But I would like to remind the findings we were discussing on Friday from Brad Wilcox over at the University of Virginia. Fatherlessness is a better predictor of incarceration for young men than race or family income. Got it? Fatherlessness is a better predictor of incarceration for young men than race or family income. And it's not because the fathers are better at hiding them from arrest. That's not what that's about. Joe Biden can't talk to this issue. He cannot speak to this issue. Because of the exceptions in his life, we are now just beginning to learn That Hunter, his son, is not the only offspring with a lot of problems in the Biden household. The daughter is, too. The daughter is, too. It's interesting you never hear about Biden's daughters, is it? There's a lot you don't hear about Joe Biden. There's a lot. Boy, it just hasn't been true of other presidencies. Just hasn't been. All right. You want to talk a little bit about Juneteenth right now? I think we should. We will. We will. And D. Roy Murdoch, America marks our second Juneteenth national holiday today. Some will focus on the severe pain and death that slavery inflicted on black Americans. Might be useful to celebrate how much black Americans have accomplished since the original Juneteenth liberated the last of the emancipated slaves in 1865. Having vanquished the Confederacy that April, Union Army so- soldiers finally reached Galveston. Texas. They encountered a final group of slaves who were unaware that the South had fallen. More important, the men in blue uniforms read General Order No. 3 to the people who until then were considered, believe it or not, private property. Quote, all slaves are free. Henceforth, the black men, women, and children belonged to themselves, not others. Republican-led Reconstruction efforts initially offered blacks a lot of hope. Some former slaves represented the South in Congress. Do you know that? Alas, Democrats got the upper hand as Reconstruction faltered, and they dug their heels into black necks. But despite the oppression of Democrat-enforced Jim Crow laws and the terror imposed by the Democrat-founded and manned Ku Klux Klan, blacks capitalized on the opportunities that America offered, first grudgingly and then with increasing enthusiasm. Since the Civil Rights Act of 1964 torpedoed Democratic operating systemic racism in the South, millions of blacks have flourished across America. You will not get this story in elementary school. Booker T. Washington rose up from slavery, as his memoir details. Born as a slave in 1856, Washington was free, but spectacularly poor, ultimately, after the first Juneteenth. At one point, he slept beneath a raised sidewalk in Richmond, Virginia. He was homeless. Booker T. Washington soon educated himself and then others. He founded the Tuskegee Institute on July 4th. 1881. He didn't think July 4th was a reason to not celebrate. He thought July 4th was a reason to celebrate. It was among the first historically black colleges and universities. Washington wrote and lectured widely, and he became the White House first dinner guest when Republican President Theodore Roosevelt welcomed to me in October 1901. Madam C.J. Walker became America's first female millionaire entrepreneur. She earned her fortune in the early 1900s by marketing hair care products to her fellow blacks or African-Americans by selling Afro-Sheen before Afro-Sheen. She made enough money to buy a mansion in Westchester, excuse me, in Westchester, right near John D. Rockefeller. You might consider that a nice neighborhood. The Netflix miniseries, Self Made, dramatizes Walker's amazing life. It stars Octavia Spencer, a block, black success story in her own right, and an Academy Award winner, along with Sidney Poitier, Isaac Hayes, Whoopi Goldberg, Denzel Washington, Spike Lee, and numerous other exceptional filmmakers. Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington, co father Jazz as W.C. Handy, Sidney Beshet, Ella Fitzgerald, Fats Waller, Dizzy Gillespie, Quincy Delight Jones, George Benson, Wynton Marcellus, and Countlinth, Countless other talents still polish this all-American art form to blinding sheen. We're going to talk more about success of blacks in America. A lot of them worked hard for it, and their stories just aren't being told. Only in America. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Time for our culture and economy update with the best person to do that. That is John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. And he has his own show every Saturday morning right here. 9:60 uh, a.m., the word on wealth. Hi, John. How are you, sir? Fantastic. How's it going, Seth? I'm doing fine. No market update today because the markets are closed due to Juneteenth, right? That is correct. I am kind of curious about two things, though, I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, There's an interesting story about Social Security and the cost of living mm-hmm. estimates. We'll get to that in a moment. I didn't know if you had an opinion on this. Uh, I know you, um, you play it uh, fairly cautiously and not getting ahead over your skis, which I think is appreciated. Uh, Larry Summers, is, I guess, right. counts as one of the sages on mm-hmm. the economy. He's the former Secretary of Treasury to Bill Clinton, former yes. president of Harvard. He was saying over the weekend that he hasn't seen anything that convinces him we aren't heading to a recession. Joe Biden today said he talked to Larry Summers, and Larry Summers says he doesn't think a recession is inevitable. (laughs) God knows, right? I mean, you know, try and get a straight answer. But uh, where do you fall in between this skill and charybdis? Is it inevitable or is it predictable? Is it likely? Is it uh, something we just want to— we want to be cautionary about yellow light. How do you how do you estimate uh, the inevitability of recession?
2: Well, just of course, my disclaimer is I'm not an economist, right. number one. However, uh, I've that, been, been through a couple of. That allows recessions. you to be more right than, yes. uh, than yeah, not, probably by so. the way. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I've been through a few recessions, just as you have. Obviously, we could show our age and, and know that we've been through You've these. You've been
1: things. For, through a few more.
2: Yeah, well, maybe. That's true. Probably, I, think. I think I am older than you. No, yes. I don't think so. I think I, I am. I don't yeah. know. You're better looking though.
1: I don't think that's either true. way. All right, back to the truth. Go okay. Ahead. So, but if we
2: go back to, uh, we're looking at the cost of living adjustment that we had for Social Security last year it was a five point. Uh, it was five point eight percent. Of an increase or five point nine, whatever yeah. it was. Um, and if I go back to um 1980, it was fourteen point three, Seth. Yeah. I mean, a big difference yeah. between that and now. However, yeah. Yeah. let me say this: the projected cost of living increase for 2022 is now in the 8-plus range. So we are seeing uh, the potential, uh, unless something major changes between now and the end of the year, that we could see a a larger Social Security adjustment. So for those out there who are collecting Social Security, you may be lucky. You may be getting a a big increase. That doesn't necessarily mean you're lucky, however. Um, But... I would say this, Seth, oftentimes when it comes to recession, because this is the big word everybody's throwing around out there, uh, and and I heard this again, and and this is my belief as well. We may already be in a recession. We just don't know it yet. And oftentimes- You you
1: think that's likely the case.
2: And I I do believe that that's likely the case. Or at least the way we should operate. Yes. That's And I'm I'm hoping that that's it. And that's the way we're looking at this until we know for sure- and what does the recession mean anyway? The recession means nothing more than we have a high inflationary period of uh, of you know uh, time uh, that we're seeing the economy slow. Uh, you know the difference here is jobs are not being lost yet, right? We're still seeing strong job market. That's that's an indicator too of a recession. Uh, slight, rich-
1: slight, slight losses, right, expected yes. in the fall, but yes. right now,
2: right now no. ticking yeah. upwards. Right. We're starting to right. see some of the tech companies right. lay people off. So we're starting to see some signs. Yeah, it's My belief is that it's very possible that we are in a recession or in the next quarter we'll be in a recession. But uh, if I were to look at the stock market today and say within a six-month period of time, is the market going to be down from where it is today or is it going to be uh, higher? Than it is today, and my my thought is is that the market will recover yeah. from where it is today. It may not gain all those all the losses back by the end of the year, but I believe we're going to be, you know, on our way to a recovery. Uh, and and so this is where people uh, have different schools of thought when it comes to investing. Is is that if you have assets that you have in the market, you've down, now down 15, 20, 30 percent on some of these assets, depending on how uh, your risk tolerance is. Um, you have to make a decision. Do you stay and allow the market to uh, do what it normally does, which is come back sometimes longer than other times, uh, or do you sell and then decide at some point in the future that you're going to go back in? Oftentimes you'll miss an opportunity at this point uh, if you were to sell at these levels. Mm -hmm. So I just caution people um, to just be aware of that and, and get good advice from your advisor and I know this is a difficult time for everybody out there who is invested in the stock market. However, uh, again, we've been through this many times, Seth. Uh, I know I have been. I'll speak for myself. And uh, there is a brighter uh, you know, future for the market here uh, coming. I don't know exactly when that would be. But uh, if you have time, that's on your side then uh, you can certainly uh, take advantage of what's happened at this point if you have additional money to invest as well. So there's a number of schools of worth thought. Worth talking about. Don't don't know more than if thinking we're in, about yeah.
1: it, it's worth talking so about. So that was now. a
2: long answer. To, no, I don't no, it's know good. A it's a good answer.
1: It's a good answer. Yeah. It means we might get out of it quicker, actually.
2: I, uh, that would be my help, yeah. you know I'm an optimist, though. Yeah. good. Securities and Advisory Services, offered to Client 1 Securities LLC, a member of Finn and
1: an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning
2: Associates LLC, and Clint Securities LLC not affiliated. Thank you.
1: Let's pick up on that Social Security stuff tomorrow a little bit, John, too. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good afternoon. Thanks, as, well. as always. Bye-bye. I'm Bye-bye. Seth Liebson. 602-5080-960. Be right back. 960. Portions of the show brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. They're great people, actually, and they're offering a remarkable investment opportunity. Uh, they have a fixed no-load interest rate. Up to 10.25% for investors, all in a collateralized, secure portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, as I say, run by great people. They're in the business of helping others dig out a debt the right way by actually paying off those debts. Doing it the right way, doing it with dignity. If you want to be part of all that, check them out at com. That's the word invest, the letter y then refy.com or give him a call at 855-316-3087, com. Tell them I sent you. Let me just conclude this. Well, before I conclude this uh, DeRoy Murdoch piece on Juneteenth, uh, keep in mind a line I remember Jack Kemp talking about once when he uh, became Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. He was getting updates on the previous administration's work and research and reports. And someone said, and we're finishing up this report on the causes of poverty in America. He said, just cancel it. And, you know, what? Cancel cancel our study? on. Yeah, he said, I don't want to study the causes of poverty. We know how poverty is caused. I want Americans to learn about how wealth is created. Give me a study on wealth creation. You get what you study. You get what you research. You get what you put attention on. We put an awful lot of attention on failure, and that has its import and needs, too, because we don't know what to fix if we don't diagnose it. But, you know, when it comes to the state of black America, as DeRoy Murdoch reminds, the Tuskegee Airmen, they bombed Adolf Hitler to bits and buried beneath smoldering rubble the notion that blacks lacked the brains to fly. Jackie Robinson integrated baseball. Muhammad Ali was the greatest pugilist there ever was. Michael Jordan towered over basketball. Tiger Woods dominated golf and still competes, despite severe wounds. Impresario Barry Gordy launched a whole new sound called Motown. Kenneth Chenault at American Express for 17 years. Ursula Burns was the CEO of Xerox. Richard Parsons ran Citigroup and Time Warner. Stan O'Neill's grandfather was a slave. Two generations later, O'Neill chaired Merrill Lynch, Colin Powell, Condi, Condi Rice, secretaries of state, Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch, attorneys general, several black Supreme Court justices, of course, a vice president and a president for eight years. All African-American or black Americans, if he were alive today, DeRoy Murdoch says, Dr. Martin Luther King likely would argue that while room to rise remains, his dream has come true. Beyond the famous names, millions of black Americans use their freedom to improve themselves, their loved ones, their communities and this nation every single day. This and every Juneteenth, Americans of all hues should applaud black success since emancipation rather than wallow the critical race theorists and all the wrongs taking place before. I'll have an answer and a response to all the wrongs that took place in my monologue at the top of the third hour. Here's a story kind of local, and I kind of like it. I know it's written as to be condemnatory, critical, pejorative. I think it's good. Here's the headline from the Arizona Mirror. High school graduation will be tied to learning about the evils of communism. Good, I say. High school students in Arizona will soon have to learn how communism and totalitarianism conflict with the American principles of freedom and democracy before they can graduate. It's known as House Bill 2008. It was signed into law Friday by our governor, Doug Ducey, and it directs the State Board of Education to update its high school social studies academic standards to include a comparative discussion of political ideologies such as communism and totalitarianism that conflict with the principles of freedom and democracy that are essential to the founding principles of the United States of America. Good, and I'm glad they wrote it that way. It's not just to study communism and totalitarianism. Otherwise, you might end up like Mark Milley thinking you're studying it to understand the American people. Nope. This law says you have to study it so as to contrast it with the principles of freedom that are essential to the founding principles of the United States of America. The bill's sponsor, someone I've met, Prescott Valley Republican Representative Kwang Yun. He fled communist Vietnam as a child and cited his upbringing in the country as a major factor in pushing the change to high school curriculum. I have heard this over and over again. I want to pause and point out, particularly, not just immigrants from Eastern or what we used to call Eastern Europe, but particularly from immigrants who came here from Vietnam. They scratch their head. They tend also to be a little bit younger. They they tend to be a little their families tend to be a little bit, a little bit younger than those who've been here from east come, who have come here from Eastern Europe, and they scratch their head in simple amazement about how much leash we have given socialism and communism in this country. In amazement, in amazement. He writes, having grown up in Vietnam and survived three communist invasions, I have a deep love and appreciation for the United States and its freedom which are guaranteed to all This civic standards update will ensure that our students are taught the brutal facts of oppressive communist systems and how they are fundamentally antithetical to America's founding principles. Again, good, good. I am glad we are doing this. We are doing this at a hard time. I hope it's not too late. I really do. You know what Generation Z is, right? It's, they're, they're, mostly, they're mostly in middle and high school now. Some of them are, re- are in college and uh, recent college graduates, roughly ages 10 to 25, Generation Z, roughly people aged 10 to 25. Every year, the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation does a survey on support for socialism and communism amongst Generation Z, you know, amongst the kids, the cohort of children that are in our middle, high school, and colleges. And it's been steadily increasing. Now, 49% favorable amongst Generation Z, up from 40%. That's a nearly 10% increase of Generation Z in the course of one year finding favorable opinion of socialist communism. Think about that. Almost half of our, education, of, our educa- of our children in, ed- in education right now. Think about that. Almost half. Combine that with 50% of our high school seniors graduating with no sense of American history. An F in American history. And pretty soon, pretty soon, you're in C.S. Lewis land. Remember what C.S. Lewis said about education. He said, you don't press the educational needs of the moment You will will make your children susceptible to the emotional propaganda that they will learn from the tradition of their youth. That's it. That is it. You take away facts from kids, you distort facts and give them to kids, and they will forever be susceptible to propaganda. You want to know why we're increasing positive views of socialist communism amongst our youth and cohort of children in our educational institutions these days? I just told you. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That's uh, John Sebastian's song uh, done by John and June Carter Cash. Looking forward to the Elvis movie coming out. Reading great reviews of it. He's due for a movie, don't you think? I mean, Johnny Cash got a movie. Brian Wilson's had a movie. A lot of the uh, Ray Charles has had a movie. I think it's about just about right time for Elvis to have a movie. It's supposed to be coming out. I saw a document. It's not a documentary. I saw a movie about the Eiffel Tower called Eiffel Tower. The problem or Eiffel, the problem with it is a lot of it is speculative. A lot of it. But a few things aren't. I did not know this. Did you know this, Bill? You've seen pictures. Have you been to the Eiffel Tower? Or seen You've obviously seen pictures. of. It. Did you know this? It, it kind of looks like an A. The letter, he did that deliberately. Named after a long-lost love, Adrian, whose first name obviously begins with an A. Isn't that kind of interesting. Also, the kind of curved, the kind of concave shape it goes, sloping inwards. You know, yeah, you know what that was supposed to—that that was deliberate too, as a as a technical design to keep to uh, to to withstand the wind a little bit, to absorb the wind a little better. Kind of interest. I learned a few things, but you have to you had to look. It's like you with winning time you with you just weren't going to accept it. You couldn't just accept a good well put together series. You had to go and fact check every little thing. Or was some of it so obvious? Was there something what? Give me one glaringly obvious thing about winning time. You watched the whole thing. I think it's a good show for those 18 and older.
2: I wouldn't say glaringly I'd say so incredible seeming that you it forces you to go look it up and verify.
1: Oh, yep, that didn't happen. Oh, really? what was one of them uh, the dinner party one on one magic and norm nixon okay okay all right that was that was that was literature literature's flourish but it was played by norm nixon's son that guy did norm nixon was played by his son so it has that added reality that neutralizes it a little bit in my book not yours i know you're having none of it i want you all to read matt continentti's piece over at um, commentary magazine on uh, joe biden as the excuse machine, I'll just give you the conclusion. Matt he, we he has this new book out on conservatism. We did a extended interview with him. Uh, asked on May 13th whether he could have responded more quickly to the nationwide shortage of baby formula. Still out there, folks, by the way. Biden said, quote, if we'd, be, if we'd been better mind readers, we could have. But we moved as quickly as the problem became apparent to us, close quote. No, we did not. A whistleblower warned of unsanitary conditions at Abbott factory as far back as last october the fda inspected the plant in january and then closed it and issued a recall of the contaminated contaminated or potentially contaminated florida in february biden said he never learned about it till april and then didn't do anything about it until may and we still don't know what's being done about it at all the problem getting worse but also getting more ignored i guess we do that here now too I'm Seth Leapson. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Brandon Weikert.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.